0: Today's episode of Idle Weekend is brought to you by Bombas. A great place to get cool, creative, and above all, most importantly, comfortable socks. Go to getbombas.com weekend to get 20% off your first order. Welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zachney to wind down another week. This week, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a year. It's been a hell of a year. It's been a, a, a stressful and trying time, and I thought it might be nice for us to talk about the games that we use for self-care. Now, self-care, of course, if you've never heard this concept, if you're not in with the twee, you know, the sort of uh, the Neo Endearment crew, on, on Twitter and other nice places, self-care is exactly what it sounds like. It is how you take care of yourself. It's like it's like the things you do to take a breather, to kind of get away from the things that are stressing you out and be by yourself and chill out a <clears> little bit and, and kind of take care of yourself. So I personally have been playing a lot of the games that were uh, made in the self-care jam. It was a little game jam on itch.io, itch.io you might want to call it. Uh, I played several really cool little things that were sort of uh, based around the concept of self-care. Uh, there was a game called This Dungeon is the Coolest by Alexandra. He's uh, on uh, sort of on Twitter at Havoc HQ, I think. Uh, and she basically made a really chill dungeon crawler, like really fully featured too, especially for a Game Jam game, like a really fully featured chill dungeon crawler where instead of insulting you or being mean to you and trying to kill you all the enemies sort of compliment you or they're like oh I'm sorry I did I hug you too hard and like other cute little things like that and had like really cute custom art played a really chill little kind of meditation game um that that was uh that was awesome that was actually called peasant and you just kind of walk around this like very quiet and relaxed and sort of meditative landscape so I'm I'm sort of in the mood uh, to kind of talk about these kinds of things, games is self care. So with that, that long intro, Rob, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you talk a little bit about the games that you play for self care when you need a little R and R, a little time to yourself, Rob and relaxation. You know.
1: All right. Well, I think to start us out, I'm gonna punt a little bit because I need to reflect on this a little more. Uh, in, in like in part because this is something I actually I actually struggle with, right? Like I'm not yeah. great at self care. Like things that have happened to me since I moved out to Los Angeles. I started smoking again. Um, oh wow! I didn't oh yeah, know that. no, it's it's like and it's shit. it's not a good scene. Like not not heavily, but like sure, now sure, frequently, sure. there's a pack of unfiltered cigarettes somewhere nearby. I see. Um. So I mean, like obviously, this is an area where where you know needs improvement uh, is, sure. is is on the report card, as it were. Huh? Uh, but I think something that like historically has worked really really well for me. And we talked about this from time to time. Uh, yeah. Is just racing games, and in particular, yes. when I had my full like my full setup, uh, when I they had the racing wheel and the track IR and all that stuff, yeah. I don't have that stuff out here with me. But when I did, it was like very close to like a VR level experience. And the thing I actually enjoyed doing maybe the most wasn't actually racing. Like good races is, is really memorable and exciting, and uh, some of my favorite gaming memories are like races. But um, you know, for me, it was actually testing cars. And like doing time trials oh, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And so like being so I guess having so having be become a little more aware of like mindfulness and the mindfulness movement. I think actually like doing like test test drives and like time trials um like really seriously in like a racing sim actually sort of pushes some of those buttons because like if like so starting to get into like mindfulness a little bit a lot of it seems to be about like paying attention to like small details, pay, like getting really invested in, in 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 being present, right, and like attending to things you notice in the moment, yeah. and that can be anything. Uh, it's, you know a lot of times it's focusing on a breath, but uh, it can you know it can kind of be whatever. It's it's almost about like letting the mind engage with the things that it that it finds and takes interest in without sort of um, like task switching the way it often does. And like racing games, if you're playing like you know with things like tire wear turned on and like realistic fuel consumption, the handling of a car will change as you drive it, and you need to be aware of like okay, now the tires are starting to get a little worn down, like it's not as grippy I mean, that affects like where i can where I'm gonna have to brake it affects how quickly like how fast I can take this turn and i had a like I have a lot of great sessions in like Games like F1 2013, um, the old like GTR games uh, from, yeah. from Simbin, um, <laughs> Project Cars was really good for this because it's just such a gorgeous game where I would like spend an hour just driving a car around an empty t- racetrack and just like eventually I would enter the state where I wasn't really conscious of time passing. Like I was doing everything. My lap times were continuing to fall. But I wasn't really, like, I'd be completely zoned out. Like, I would suddenly snap out of it, and I'd realize, like, I'd driven four laps. And each time, like, I'd gone a little faster. But I was just, like, I was completely, like, unaware of anything but the task. And so I think that's always been something that has been really good for me. And I think it's one reason why those games um, resonate so much with me is that they kind of force me into some good mental habits Without any any of the baggage attended with self care, right? It, it it sort of tricks you into like having a lot of like developing a lot of good habits without being like uh, very hippy dippy about the entire thing. Sure,
0: yeah, which I think is it's very important if you're a salty New Englander, or you know, if you weren't raised in those circu- in in that like, oh, let's talk about our feelings, even though I that's a good idea and healthy, but sometimes you have to kind of like. Present it differently so that your brain doesn't Im- immediately reject. That I, I idea. think
1: fuck that. The yeah. New England thing—it's <laughs> don't be precious about these things, and I think that's right. the difference, right? Some of these, yeah. some of these movements sometimes feel a little bit self-centered in a negative way, or just like you're totally. being like, being a little precious about 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 your about yourself, about 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 your emotions, and I think like yeah, sort of your. Your your crustier type uh, needs to needs a slightly different vocabulary needs needs a less um, less saccharin language to discuss yes. these topics to discuss yeah. these issues
0: because I think any reasonable person, New Englander or not, New Englanders let's let's just say as a as a whole tend to be fairly reasonable people. Uh, you you can say a thing like, "Look, comes down to it, you got to communicate in your relationships." You don't know what's going on in the other person's head. You got you to talk. You got to talk to each other. That's just how it works. That's <laughs> how it is. You, you can say that. You can break things down like that without having to be like, Now, what about this feeling? You know, it's it just yeah. sometimes it's presentation. It's just saying like, look, no bullshit. Here's how it is. Here's how it works. This is what's going on. Uh, so right. in the same no bullshit fashion, I find uh, for myself, self-care kinds of games they have to be engaging enough. Exactly what you're talking about with the, you know, sort of like noticing little details and always being engaged enough. Like it's it's relatively chill, you know, it's not like panic inducing. It's not an alien isolation kind of thing where it's like, holy shit, you know, something bad's gonna happen. But yeah, relatively chill atmosphere, but engaging enough. Like there's enough going on and my brain will get distracted from feeling like shit, basically. So I, have, you know, we talk about this sometimes. I have pretty bad anxiety. It's actually been awful lately. I've got this like horrible feeling of like just tightness in my chest. I just feel like like a person is standing on my chest, and I have for the last like two weeks, and it sucks a lot, and it's not awesome. Uh, and you know, I I typically you know I have medicine, and I have all that shit, but and I exercise every day, and I'm very careful to do that. Um, but also like it's really. The kind of thing where I just need to distract myself. Like, I need a good distraction uh, from being too mindful, almost. Or being too mindful of my body. Or being too freaked out by every little thing. Uh, So, actually, Pokemon, right now, is sort of my perfect, perfect, perfect self-care game. Because it's exactly that. Like, it's pretty chill. You You can just go into Pokemon and have a nice time. You can just run around and catch Pokemon and pet your Pokemon. You can, you can cuddle with them a little bit. You can feed them Poke beans. Uh, so they're very happy with you and sort of cuddle with them. And that's very nice, but it's also like a a good and engaging JRPG without much grinding where, you know, you can kind of, you feel like you're progressing. You feel like you can keep kind of going along. You're, you're leveling up your little Pokemon and you're thinking about your, you know, you're sort of, dynamic crew you're thinking about like oh, i want a water type for this and i want a, you know poison type for this and i want a ghost type because they're just cool and i want you know the ideal little team so there's all these little aspects that you can kind of all these little hooks in there that you can kind of i can put my brain on and be like all right brain i feel like i can't breathe right now so please be distracted by these colorful cute critters and by all this math that's kind of happening below the surface, you can kind of feel, you can kind of feel it intuitively, like you had the idea of leveling up and sort of going through these battles and sort of making, you know, good matches and smart decisions and so on and so forth. But, but like, go do that, brain, while I try to breathe and chill out over here. And It is very effective. Like, I am doing Pokemon pretty much every night in bed for a little while before it's like actual, you know, lights out time. I try to always do something very chill- uh, you know, like I'll either read a book, uh, usually a physical book, because I, I prefer not to have screens in bed unless it's, you know, Pokemon. Unless it's like a 3DS game that's pretty chill and pretty much Pokemon or Animal Crossing. I, I prefer to be like, nah, no iPad even. Like more like a book made of paper so I can like feel it in my hands um, or, or something chill enough to be like a Pokemon game. So that really helps me. So I want
1: to unpack this a little bit though, because what I find interesting here is Listening to you talk, I was thinking, like, why don't most of my strategy games fit that bill? Sure. Um, they might. <laughs> but they don't. Not for yeah. me. No? Um, no. And, and I was sort of pondering why that is. And I think, so there's, there's a few things. Like, so with, with a game like Civ, but, but really, like, a lot of games, like, a game can be a distraction, but still be a shitty self-care game. Like something totally. can be utterly engrossing, but if you if it feels like you're surfacing from it and you are worse than when you started, yeah. um, then that's not really helping. I mean, because because then basically it is sort of the pack of cigarettes, it is the junk food, you know, stuff yeah. like that. It's not it's not actually like changing your mental state. It's just distracting you from it while whatever is bubbling away continues to do that. And so I think like a lot of a lot of games like civ a lot of games with progression mechanics a lot of games that would like otherwise be very absorbing don't really succeed in, in doing that because like yeah they're getting hooks in you and and they're they they're engaging you but they're not actually doing anything to sort of soothe or settle you down or or get you out of um out of Out of whatever headspace you're in, and so like I think you know the racing game example is there's nothing inherently addictive about that, like maybe if you get like really into like watching lap times fall, like that can be satisfying, but like that's an experience that you're either into or not, and when you're done with it, you're done with it, but like it doesn't work even if it makes a game more effective as a distraction when a game is like very invested in keeping you playing, you know what yeah. I mean, and I find that so that rules out. Games like Civ, but also also a lot of different types of games, a lot of the games I consider maybe a little more, you know, casual mobile games that that sort of thing, where like they don't really end up working very well as as agents of self care because they're not they're not doing anything to snap you out of it. They're not doing anything to bring you to a different like awareness, mm-hmm. and I think that is one reason that a lot of like I bounce off a lot of games like that and I'm kind of curious like first of all I mean does that does that make sense to you do you sort of agree with that but also po- like pokemon and jrpgs are very grindy they're very like progression based and I, I'm curious like w- where is the line between like something being positive in that direction like pokemon and something being mm. kind of negative
0: yeah no totally I, and I do agree with that I think Pokemon is less grindy than any other JRPG, just because it's kind of, um, you know, you you do level up, but it's not that hard. Like there's there's always like you know little trainers that you battle, and you always kind of see them, but you can always ignore it too. It's not it's not the way a lot of JRPGs are, where it's like battle, 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 battle. I mean, in Pokemon, you can kind of battle if you feel like it, and otherwise you can, you can kind of just screw around or just try to catch Pokemon, which you know. Yeah. It involves battling, but like, hey, like the game is totally cool and always there for you. And there's, there's just no urgency to it. Like you can go towards the goals and, and it supports you in that. But I feel like the tone of the game is so friendly and so not urgent, just sort of in general, that that it really eases off a lot of that stuff. A lot of those sort of like, you got to keep playing me or you'll die kind of feeling uh, that I do get from, from a lot of other sort of JRPGs. Pokemon's kind of special. Like it's it's a softer, cuddlier. <laughs> you know, it, I, I guess not literally, but you do you do kind of literally cuddle your Pokemon. I mean, with a virtual hand, so whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of game. Like it's it's about nurturing your little animals as much as it's about you know going out and battling and being awesome. At least the way I play it, it is. And I like to hug my little Pokemon a lot. I like to pet them a lot. I like to treat them like little pets. Uh, which is one of the reasons why this one is awesome because in previous games, uh, and I think Alpha Sapphire, you, you go to, like, a little training zone, you could, like, it was really cute, it was almost like a little boxing ring and, like, you could hit a little heavy bag and that would train one of their stats and, like, that was really cute and you could, you could definitely pet them and be cute with them, but in this one, you, you take care of them whenever they have, like, a status condition. Like, oh, this one's all wet. You got to dry them off with a little hairdryer. Like, it the, the the cute little petting thing is much more a part of the game that's sort of, like, you're just encouraged to do it more, which is nice and, like, is making me kind of be like, oh, yeah, let me take a minute. I'm going to pet little poplio on the head. And, of course, I find it really cute and awesome now that I've... This is the first Pokemon I've played that I've, I have real-life pets. I have real-life little furballs who like to be pet, uh... And have all weird little personalities. And I think it's kind of rad and amazing that each little Pokemon has like, like a sweet spot, (laughs) like where it wants to be pet. Like some of them are like, pet my head. Some are like, scratch my chin. Some of them are like, no, my belly is where I want to be pet. And it's like, that's a real thing. That's a real (laughs) animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's a real animal thing. And that's adorable and awesome and kind of cute and makes it feel a little little more special. Like, oh, I've I've got a little bond with this little fake animal because it likes to be pet a certain way. Um, I just, I just find that really nice, um, and in a way that, like, you know, if it were just a pet simulator, maybe I wouldn't be quite as engaged, because I'd be like, this is fun and, and really cute, and I like this, you know, I loved Dogs ten years ago when that came out, I had a Chihuahua, now I have a real one, um, <laughs> uh, but I like having those goals there, I, I, I think I just like that this is a game that supports really both, Re- like a completely chill kind of playstyle, where it's like, you can pretty much just fuck around if you really want to. Or you can go for the gold, baby. You can go for those trials and go for those golds. And, and you know, actually kind of mainline the game a little bit more. Uh, but it it's completely cool with you doing any mix of those things. And I think that really helps. Uh, it, along with that tone of just like, it's friendly. This This is a game made for kids. It's totally cool if you're an adult who enjoys it. It's just, you know, it's a very friendly (laughs) kind of thing to play. Um, I could see myself, you know, feeling fairly chill, playing something like a, uh, just like a slower-paced puzzle game as well, kind of doing the same thing. There's a game called Small Radio's Big Televisions that I really liked, came out in maybe October or so, but that was just a really relaxed kind of puzzle game where it's like, poke around. You'll figure it out. Just poke around. Something like that I really enjoy because... I'm the kind of person who, you know, if you listen to this podcast, I just really like environments. I like exploring environments. That's really fun for me to do, Uh, and environments that are, you know, just sort of intricate and and detailed and have a lot to look at and poke around in. Especially if they're not inherently dangerous, like Alien Isolation. I like doing this, but it was there was always a danger to it too. Uh, But in in a situation where it's like, no, you're safe. This is a cool thing. You're just exploring. This is just a place to explore and poke around and solve little puzzles. That also really fits the bill. Makes me very happy. Uh, puts me in a place where I can breathe easily and kind of take care of myself and, and take that that little breathing room as well.
2: Um, a game that is... It's kind of weird to have it on my list, but... <laughs> it's very weird to have it on my list. That's <laughs> right. The shit. What, what, what are they even call now? Because I
1: always call them Nazi zombie smi- sniper, but I feel like A Nazi the,
0: zombie sniper. Um.
1: Uh. It's like, oh Nazi zombie army. So yeah, the, uh, the Nazi zombie army uh series of the Sniper Elite series.
0: Ah, uh, I see.
1: Is really dumb. Like
2: okay, awesome. I'm not
1: even like look. Not gonna front here. But it it knows it's dumb. Like, it knows
2: it is a dumb fucking game. Yeah. Um. But. But. It's
1: basically importing a lot of the stealth and sniper mechanics from the Sniper Elite games. So, like, it's all, like, super gun-porny. It's super violent. Like, slow-motion headshots with, like, bullets <laughs> ripping through skulls. All this shit. But the main difference you have to bear in mind with a game like this is that you're a sniper and there's a bunch of goddamn Nazi zombies. And this is a problem because there's like hundreds of zombies and there's you with a bolt action rifle in most cases. And a bolt action rifle is super effective at killing zombies if you're always on your mark. But if you miss a few shots, that's like precious lost time and they just keep coming. Not very fast; they're pretty slow, as a matter of fact, but fast enough to get you into real trouble if you're not making your shots. And the weird thing about this is that it actually becomes a really meditative and restful game in some ways. In the same way, like what I was saying about racing game, racing games sort of forcing you to exhibit some good behaviors, forcing you to get into a better frame of mind and get a little more in tuned with it, like, and bring body and mind a little more in tune
2: yeah.
1: uh, and quiet your thoughts. Nazi Zombie Army actually forces something similar because it is, like, the sort of the, the rule of this game, without making without being super high pressure, it's not like a multiplayer match, it's not like a game, it's not like a stealth game where there's tons of, like, fast, aggressive AI enemies. You'll be fine if you just stay cool and hmm. remember that, like, um, you know, slow is smooth and smooth is fast, basically. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that entire game forces you to play that way. You just, you find it, you, ch- you pick your spot, you belly up, and you just start mowing down zombies. And there's a little, like, breath holding mechanic that a lot of times you'll actually end up sort of subconsciously like mirroring at least I do sometimes where like you hold your breath to steady your aim but it makes you like really aware of like okay now you can take a breath and shoot
2: <laughs> and then
1: like the other thing is it actually has a bit of like that doom pacing that we talked about last week with uh you know games of the year uh it, it had a bit of that doom pacing where like the action keeps pausing to show these bullets just like fucking blowing skulls (laughs) apart but it happens in slow motion and two things happen the camera sort of surveys the scene in like a 360 arc but that gives you some awareness of like what is happening like it lets you see more of the battlefield than you can see from your first person perspective but it also gives you like three seconds to just like relax because nothing's going to happen in a second control will be restored and then you kill people again well, they're not people. They're Nazis. <laughs> yeah. They're Nazi zombies. Yeah, they're. Yeah. But yeah. So it's it's a game that like has been weirdly calming for me. Um, you know, it's it's not bad. It's 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 it, it's pretty good in a lot of in a lot of ways. But I've always just sort of been struck by how unbelievably uh, chill a game called Sniper Elite Nazi Zombie Army is. <laughs> and this wasn't my discovery. Like. Um, my, my buddy JP Grant actually was the one who put me onto this. He was like, look, I know this is dumb, but you need to try this. He sent me the first like two games through steam and everything. And I was like, oh shit, I do need to try this. This is, this is amazing. <laughs> and so it's, it, it's a really interesting game from, from that standpoint.
0: That sounds, ugh. I actually kind of want to try that. Cause that's sort of like forcing you to chill thing is is that's uh, and if that you don't,
1: really if you lose good. your chill you will fuck up like you will start it's missing like your training shots draining
0: you're, you're, yourself yeah a yeah. chill almost that's that's really really cool i've heard i don't i don't personally play these games like this but i have heard now this is a very valid form of self-care that i have heard from many people that the dynasty warriors games are really good for seriously chilling out Taking out a little stress, because you're you're such an overpowered badass in these games. You're just mowing through, you know, tons of soldiers kind of thing. And then there's other soldiers on the battlefield who are more challenging. So there's, like, things to look out for, things to engage with. I, I, yeah, I played one a couple of years ago, and I thought it was, it was all right. You know, I I could see it. It certainly was a very chill experience. It was a very, like, yeah, okay. I think I see the appeal here. Maybe it's not my bag, but I see the appeal here. And I think there's, there's something kind of awesome about that. There's something, there's something to that, and something to what you were talking about um, in this Sniper Elite z- Nazi Zombies. That's the look. Like, not it is something? look. It is
1: a collection of words that can be arranged in almost any order, <laughs> and it would still work as a title. Which is why I can never remember the game until I have yeah. it googled in front of me. That's, that's sniper Elite. Nazi zombie army.
0: Nazi zombie army. Okay, good. But um As I like to call it,
1: Nazi Zombie Sniper.
0: Nazi zombie sniper army. Uh, kill him in the face. Yes. Good game. Um there's something about flow states here that I think is is sort of an important thing, or or like a sort of flow state, the whole the whole chick sent me high flow state concept of like right. being somewhat challenged, but being challenged at an optimal level. And you know, sort of, sort of, you know, the action rising with a a steady sort of challenge level, um, or even if it's if it's a different sort of concept of a flow state of like actually being actively engaged in something that is keeping you engaged, uh, and changing enough to keep your brain interested, but not changing so much that you're frustrated or just distracted or or something like that. Um, I mean, the concept of flow is like. It, probably one of the most difficult things to get right in a game. I mean, especially if you're sort yeah, of designing for different experiences. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's tough. <laughs> it's not easy to get right, I don't think. Uh, but when it is right, it's something that we, I think we all feel and we're like, yeah, that's really good. And I think games with particularly really good and really sort of precise, hitting that target precisely, uh, targets are good uh, self-care games, or at least they can be. For some people. I know some people probably feel like self-care games are violent and and like a violent outlet. Just being like, I'm going to crush the shit out of something because I'm really stressed out. And this helps me to calm down and like get out certain impulses. Well, That's not personally what I do. But I understand that instinct very deeply as somebody who loves boxing and loves to take out all my aggression on a heavy bag. Like I could definitely see like having a digital surrogate for that to be like. A really healthy, you know, release uh, for some folks for sure.
1: I mean, it, it definitely sort of depends, like, what you're self caring from. Like, what is your, yeah. what is the, what yeah. is the predominant like manifestation of whatever issue you're dealing with? I think for me, like, my picks sort of like it, this is kind of an interesting show for me because it's making me reflect on like, what are the things that actually do do good for me, uh, rather yeah. than just sort of, I don't know. It's like, what's what's the what's the what's the highest payoff? And I think for me, it's I need things that will silence my thoughts. Like, for me, the way, like, anxiety works a little bit um, is that I will start thinking about stuff. And then I will start, like, just going into overdrive where I'm just, like, starting to um, dwell on stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm starting to obsess. And then, like, eventually, like, it'll turn to uh, catastrophizing, right? Where it's like, okay, so... For like for basically the, for want of a nail, um, I'm going to be homeless in six months because I'm going to completely fuck up my life. Like that's ki- kind of like yep, what I start totally. doing, and totally. so for me, the things that I'm really looking for isn't necessarily soothing, but it's just a way to like turn off the radio, right? It's like these are games that can actually
2: like just give me the sensation of silence.
0: Yeah. I sort of, um, I, no, I guess it's a sort of visualizing thing, but like I visualize like myself sometimes as like a patient I have to, care, <laughs> I have to care about, or like a really unruly, like a child having a friggin' nervous breakdown, like freaking out, just like screaming and crying and freaking out. And it's like, what can I do? What thing can I do right now that will take this emotional creature and and make it quiet down and shut up a little bit and like relax and let me get my shit together a little bit uh so i I think of it in like a similar way as like a yeah i gotta i gotta turn that radio off because that radio is shrieking and is bad and i can't get anything done because it won't shut up um my experience of anxiety is also like really really physical um and this started happening like a few years ago it wasn't when I was very young, I've, I've always had anxiety. It's a, it's a thing. Um, when I was very young, I had a lot more obsessive thoughts than I do now. Now it's like the anxiety skips a lot of the obsessive thinking and it just goes right into a physical manifestation of like either a panic attack or, or I might like, if I can't nip it in the bud, like I might faint. <laughs> like I have really extreme panic attacks. Or it's just like this feeling of like, just like tightness in my chest or something Mm -hmm. like a really, really sort of physical feeling. And so I know that it's anxiety because I'm very healthy and I get checked out all the time and all this other stuff, but I also know it's anxiety because it's like, if I can successfully distract myself from that feeling and dwelling on that feeling, just the physical feeling, it goes away. So I'm like, yeah, okay, it's definitely, (laughs) it's definitely anxiety if it goes away when I'm uh, fully distracted or fully, you know, engaged with something that's like healthy and, and not just thinking about a bad feeling basically. So it's like this stuff is actually really important to me. It's very it's very near and dear to my heart basically. Um and sometimes I do think that I like chose this life <laughs> like to do media and to like be so into games and and movies and forms of entertainment partially because I I have always found storytelling uh, just fascinating and I think it's important and I think Anything we engage with in in culture and and that has a story or has some sort of narrative value or has some sort of, you know, uh, cultural value is important and it says things about who we are and it's important to pay attention to those things and those messages mean something to a larger society. I think that very much so, but I also think that growing up with anxiety, I took a lot of solace in a lot of my entertainment. I took a lot of solace in being obsessed with Star Trek and, you know, being an obsessive N64 player who wanted to play every game to 100% and see everything and, and poke around in every little world and do all of those things. I think these, I think the games have been healing for me and they've been a form of self care ever since I was a kid, you know, and definitely as a teenager when this, uh, when anxiety actually became like a, a really big problem for me so it's like yeah you know I, I i think about this and i'm like part of my life is the way it is because of this because i found self-care in games and because it, it is effective for me and actually really helps me in a lot of ways so it's like that's something <laughs> that's something i think about a lot and i'm like if i didn't have anxiety would i be as into games as i am or as in entertainment as i am and it's like yeah prob- probably not I'd i'd be i don't know Maybe I'd be a scuba diver. I have no idea.
1: (laughs) I think I'd be more into them. You think so? Yeah, Yeah. like because the thing is, for me, they don't really work as escapism as much as they used to. Um, Sure, sure. And I think for me, that part of part of that like racing thoughts phenomenon is just like a real deep restlessness, and so it's hard to like. I think this is one reason that a few times in this show I talked about like how happy I am when I get like that good deep focus gaming in or, or anything anything that involves sort of deep focus. Yes. Because that also usually means that that there was a lull from the usual like background like static. Definitely. Um so yeah, I think that's that's definitely um it's definitely interesting how this how this stuff interacts with uh these uh with these issues. Um, yeah, I do, I do think it's funny, like the, the the games we've chosen and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering like, could like, I like therapy games are a thing, but I'm wondering if any could like really succeed for us the way like video game ass video games uh, seem to succeed.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think they could, it just has to be, it has to instill in me both that that level of engagement where I'm not thinking about how I feel and not freaking me out further. <laughs> like, I feel like something like a... Uh, you know, some of the games we talked about last week in our, in our sort of game of the year discussions could totally work for that. I feel like I felt this way with Tomb Raider, actually. Like, I felt really happy playing Tomb Raider and maybe with a couple of occasions where I died a little bit or didn't really have the right approach for something. That annoyed me. But otherwise, I was like... That was in a, a kind of blissful state, a kind of flow state, like we're talking about. Like yeah. I'm shooting the guys. All right, now I'm exploring. Now I'm doing some platforming. Like it was, it was always kind of moving. Uh, and I think the Zelda games actually do this for me in a in a really great way because those games are so good at uh, at that sort of flow state of, of always giving you different activities to engage in. Every you know every dungeon will have. Areas where maybe you're fighting and areas where you're doing more puzzle solving and areas where you're kind of poking around a little bit more and exploring a little bit more. And those are so well balanced uh, that you're always, yeah, you're always engaged in a, in a different way. So you know, that's why I like Zelda games so much. Uh, and those, are, those are pretty video game ass video games, I think.
1: Yeah, I would, I would say yeah. so. I, yeah. I think they're almost the definition of, of video game ass video games. But...
0: Yeah, they're one, one kind of the definition for sure. Yeah, yeah so that, that works for me. Are there any games that are like your anti yeah. <laughs> like absolutely the opposite of, of of putting you in a in a more <sighs> self-care kind of state? Is there, is there something that makes you more existentially like dread <laughs> dreading oh, yeah. your no, life?
1: Totally. Uh
2: like what <laughs> games just fucking piss me off? Yeah. Um XCOM can go fuck itself.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, that makes uh, but sense. But yeah.
2: I I think just like any game. I yeah, think this is the I put this. I think
1: sort of the through line for the games that that have this uh that have the positive effect is that the challenge is largely internally directed, right? Like Nazi Zombie Army might as well not have enemies. Like the only thing is can you control like yourself, right? Can you yeah. stay cool and collected and you'll be fine? Uh if you're doing like timed lapse in a racing game, um what you learn really quickly to make that effective to be good at it is that you stop trying to set fast laps and you just like just let you just feel it. You just you just feel yeah. your way around the track. Um, when a game is like actively fighting you, so like the reason XCOM comes to mind is like <laughs> a lot of times you're playing XCOM and if you're sort of like trying the Iron Man or anything like that, you will have all those moments where it just feels like the game came along and said like you know fuck you. You know, the n the the, yeah. the 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 eighty five percent chance of a hit that like would have saved the whole squad and your like character whiffs and then immediately like, your best soldier is like obliterated. That stuff just like gets under your skin. It's just like yeah. it, it, it it's just it doesn't it's not anxiety inducing. It's more that it just pisses you off. It just puts you like it puts you back in that negative frame of mind that has you like dwelling on your injust in injustices. Yeah. It gets you dwelling on the might have beens. Uh, and when a game starts like doing that and mind you great, like XCOM's a great game. There's a lot of great games that like can put you in this headspace. Yeah. But when you're not really, when that's not what you're in the mood for, that will just piss me off like so much. So it's, it's, something I need, it's something I need to watch for. And I, and I think that's one reason that, like, in addition to not having a PC for much of the summer, I ended up sort of falling away from a lot of my favorite types of games over the summer just because, like, I was stressed out and I did not need this shit.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm thinking about this and, and also a great game that I really love, but, but games that I feel like, if they're grading me, you know, we talked about this, this sort of anxiety of almost being like graded and and you know, love dishonored too. We talked about it was both of our number two game of the year last week, but it can it can put me in that place if I'm really obsessing over the sort of hundred percenting uh, aspect or the or the like, god damn it, one of those guys got killed. Oh, I have to restart, and I and I get frustrated and I get flustered and I start thinking, whenever I get re- frustrated enough with a game. Anytime, any game, no matter how great it is, how well designed it is, how much I like it generally, like really love it. Um, I start thinking like, fuck, I have four thousand other things to do. Why am I doing this? Like I, I have grading I have to do. I could be I could be off training jujitsu right now. I could be I could be running. I could be improving my actual lab times in real life, I could be you know, learning another language. I could be working on my game. I could be working at work and I start freaking out, right? Like I I start really sort of freaking out about like all the other things. My time is so limited. Why would I be frustrated? Why would I let myself be frustrated by this stupid thing? And then this whole spiral. Um, That was not like the dominant feeling I had playing Dishonored 2, but there there were a couple of moments when it was like that grading aspect made me feel a little like, oh shit, that wasn't perfect. Fuck, I'm not doing it right. You know, and kind of went into that. But I would say the the ultimate anti uh, self care game is a game that I I can go fuck itself. But we I mean we talked about it a lot the early part of the year. Mm-hmm. But the witness oh, yeah, can, was yeah, absolutely um, because it was evoking the same you know at its best and and when I liked the witness and I obviously played ninety percent of it. Um, I liked parts of what I played. I thought parts of it were brilliant. When it was the thing that I liked, it evoked that feeling of learning, of actually feeling like, oh, I'm I'm really learning something. I'm learning a language here. I'm learning sort of a dialect of a language in nine different ways and you know, sort of the different areas of the game. Um, and that's a really satisfying, positive, good feeling. Like, I, I learned a thing. I have this little skill, even though it's not maybe applicable elsewhere in life. It, the feeling of learning something is a good feeling. It's a positive feeling. And when I felt like I wasn't getting it or I was just fighting against the game, which I did, both of of those feelings were, you know, a large part of that game. I was just so fucking angry. I was so pissed off. No matter how much I tried to force myself to be calm and be like, all right, all right, we'll go back at it. We'll do it again. It just felt like the game was mocking me and hated me. (laughs) And like, the tone of the game didn't help with the fucking statues and the goddamn shitty dialogue and the tech bro dystopia kind of general feeling of it, in which I know and I understand the game was supposed to be some kind of satire on that if you get to the secret final area, but that in itself is its own comment on like, oh, only the elite few would get to the point where it says it's making fun of itself, so whatever, it's up its own ass. So I have several reasons to be frustrated with that game, but that that core feeling of... I'm trying to learn something and I'm just failing at it and I just suck at it and this teacher sucks at teaching me it and I'm really mad right now and now I'm frustrated now I'm going into this spiral of anxiety of all these other things I could do with my time better things I could do with my time and it oh I'm clearly getting very upset on the podcast <laughs> I'm just like so mad thinking about the witness
1: right, right. now <laughs> And yet as I, as um, a, as I sort of put you on the couch here
0: Oh um, yes, I need the couch right I, now. I,
1: I do note that you played the hell out of the Witness.
0: Oh, so much! Of and it.
1: like, I was sort of surprised that it didn't make your top ten. Uh, oh, that and that and the New Dark Souls, because like you had two games that you had really intense, completely absorbing relationships with that you sort of professed to not liking in many ways. And oh. so I do find it kind of interesting that like, I don't know, it it, it feels <laughs> like there is a bit of. Uh, A a bit of dissonance uh, with with the feelings you profess, and then the things you choose to pursue. Uh, Because I'm a stubborn asshole
0: too. (laughs) Like that's the other part of this. Like the other part of this is that like as much as I'm a nerd, I'm also like a total jock. Like I'm a real jock. I'm a go for broke. I'm gonna do it till I get it right. uh, Often kind of person. Uh, so this sort of stuff sticks in my brain. If I don't do well at something, I am pissed off and it will upset me and it will make me anxious. But often enough, if I do have the opportunity to go back and do more of it, I will. Because mm-hmm. I want to show that asshole just what I'm made of. It's it's that like like there's a coach in my corner who's like, yeah, you know what? She got you good, but... Yeah, she's got a weak chin and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to punch her in the chin. you know, like it's a it's the jock mentality that I have the stubborn little jock who's like, nah, got to get it.
1: But then there's and a with- question is like if if part of like good mental health and, and happiness is the willingness to like, let stuff go and walk away from negative things yeah. is that thing that's like a source of drive and willpower, also something that's like secretly sabotaging you.
0: Oh, totally. I go back I mean, and forth and this about is, this
1: stuff all the time with myself. Yeah,
0: yeah, same. And I think it's a cycle, honestly. Like, there are times where it gets you more, and there are times where it's really useful, and it, like, actually does drive you. Um, so it's <laughs> it's a delicate balance. I mean, it's, you know, if we want to get real, this is the reason why I do so many things in my life, why I, like, like having more than one job, and I like having volunteer stuff, and I like having sports and stuff like that is... Because I like to be so busy and so distracted and to kind of always feel like I'm, I'm challenging myself that that there's never a moment where I feel like, you know, like, oh, I'm not doing enough, basically. Like that's, which is both anxiety provoking and relieves the anxiety because I feel like I'm doing a thing all the time. It's a, it's a very, it's a weird thing. It's a weird cycle. I, I hope I'm a high functioning enough human being and grown woman that I'm, I make you work, but it, it's a whole... It's a whole thing, man. And it ties right into my game behavior. But I do have to say, with time and distance, I feel very differently about The Witness than I do about Dark Souls 3. Like, very differently.
1: Okay. So Dark Souls Uh, 3 gets, like, an approving nod.
0: It gets an approving nod. It gets a, you were a good sparring partner. You made me angry. You hit me in some places that I, you know, some weak places. You know what I'm saying? But, but you a little, taught like, me. like, pat
1: on the ass, clap on the yeah. shoulder, bump yeah. fists.
0: It taught me something. It yeah. taught me something. Whereas yeah. the witness was a dirty fighter. You're, waiting out, you're waiting
1: out in the parking lot for the witness.
0: Yeah. Yep. I got my, I got a hammer. Yeah. My, <laughs> I put some rocks in my closet. Yeah. Witness
1: <laughs> is going to come out to, like, get witness. his car. His car is going to be fucked up. And the witness <laughs> is going to be like, what's going on? And it's like, Danielle was here.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's exactly how it is. God damn, The Witness. Even now. It's like a year later almost, I'm still talking about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> mark of a... It sure was an experience.
0: It sure was. Yeah. It, it made its mark. It sure made its mark. Man, okay. Uh, I, that's, probably, that's probably a good place uh, for us to take a brief moment and uh, thank our sponsor, and we'll be right back with our mailbag.
1: Holy crap, Danielle. What, what the hell is this feeling? My, my feet, they're, they're like numb. As numb as my, my nose and my fingertips.
0: That's a sensation known as cold, Rob. It's common to North American regions outside of Los
1: Angeles. I, I, I hate it. This is, this is just the worst. I, I can't warm up, and it doesn't help that my father calls anything north of 65 degrees sweltering. So I think I'm going to be miserable for this entire holiday break.
0: Well, Rob, I have a little tip for you.
1: Is it the one about going outside so that inside will seem warm by comparison? Because Dad already shared that particular nugget.
0: No, no, no. Not not what Dad said. Instead, I have a tip for some socks. If you go to bombas, getbombas.com, slash weekend, you can get 20% off your first order of warm, snuggly socks.
1: Whoa. It looks like they have some merino wool socks that could be just what the doctor ordered. At least, once I'm done with this course of treatment for frostbite.
0: And the best part is that for every pair of Bombas that you buy, an additional pair is donated to a homeless shelter, where socks are one of the most requested items for donation.
1: But that's wonderful! I'm definitely going to getbombas.com slash weekend to order myself a whole mess of toasty wool socks. Now if only the rest of me could get
0: Will Rob, there's no reason you can't wear socks on your hands.
2: Oh shit!
0: Alrighty, feeling good after that ad, ready to uh, tackle our mailbag right here. I've got a letter asking to be tackled right here from Paul in Oslo. Paul writes Hi R&D. I do agree with your assessment of ratings in Arkham Origins, they make me anxious as well. But in addition to that, they made me really hate the game for another reason. In Arkham Asylum and Arkham City, which I really like, although it's a class below Arkham, Asylum, all the interface and feedback of the game was explained in the game world. Even the menus and tapes that you found were played on your arm, uh, the little arm computer screen. In Origins, you were explicitly told that you were in a game. The same way I hated the rate the mission feature in Assassin's Creed games after each mission. I find that games I really obsess about completing or fulfilling a challenge are games where there is less information of the progress available, mostly because I have no idea how much there is left to see. So I even think developers are doing themselves a disfavor by adding these stats. Yeah, I get anxious about that too. (laughs) It's another thing that adds to anxiety is being like, how close am I to being done? How close am I being done? I even will like pause you know, if I'm like watching an episode of Westworld or something, I I might even pause it and be like, I need to know how much there is left. Um, which I'm mad that I can do that because <laughs> it 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 is it is something that takes me out of the experience a little bit. Uh as much as I like having features like this as a as an adult with a busy life, I also am kind of like, yeah. It'd probably be better if I didn't know. <laughs> it's probably better if I'm just absorbed in something and I don't care about how much information is being blasted on my eyeballs
1: this is a weird like it got me thinking about um <clears throat> this is this is totally tangential but uh so i've been watching brood war lately
2: mm. uh
1: which is making a kind of comeback uh in, in a way okay. uh so brood war is, is sort of not not hot again but it's like you got a lot of old starcraft greats playing brood war again which means you can watch brood war point is Brood War has no spectator functions really whatsoever. It's it's not really built for it, uh, it's really crude. Um, you know, it predates esports, it kind of found modern esports in a lot of ways. So, like a lot sure. of the things we take for granted now with spectator modes and observability uh, don't exist in Brood War. Game's better for it. Because like the, the main the main reason it's it's better for like esports is that there's suspense. Like in StarCraft 2, you can instantly call up. Information that tells you the state of play, and immediately you know like this guy's still alive, but like he's a dead man walking. You know what I mean? Like in two minutes, the economy is gonna like he's gonna get buried. Like there's just nothing this guy can do. He's screwed. Uh, which kind of kills the suspense. There's a lot of moments now in Starcraft where like you're watching something you know is a foregone conclusion. Rudor, you you don't really know what's happening. You you can't get that information. So you just kind of have a feel for how the game is going, but you're never really sure. But I kind of think, like... Again, maybe tying into our previous
2: discussion, there's just an overall tendency to...
1: There's an overall tendency, I think, like across society, to like provide too many fucking feedback systems. You know what I mean? Like, Like, too much information about... Things you're trying to do or trying to enjoy. Like, I don't begrudge anyone, like, their Fitbit. I had a body media armband for a while. And it did cool up. It did call up a lot of really cool data. Like, you know, what what, what do your sleep cycles actually look like? But at the same time, like, when was I absolutely the healthiest under, (laughs) under that system? It was when the, like, armband stopped updating. And I was just doing stuff that made me feel, like, truly good. And then I was actually going to the gym a hell of a lot more. And I wasn't like pouring over my calorie burn at night yeah. or, my, or my resting metabolic rate or my heart rate during, during exercise. And so I, I kind of feel like there's – in games, they definitely sort of break you from your immersion. And they, they sort of introduce this element of judgment. But more than that, I think just overall, there's this there's this tendency to try to rip us out of the moment and try to like make every experience quantified in some way. Yeah. And most experiences don't need to be
2: quantified.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's somewhat of a symptom of of everything in our culture feeling like. In that fashion. Like well, the like Taylorism, I, like
1: efficiency obsession maybe yes, too. Yes,
0: exactly. Like the the whole, you know, drink Soylent instead of eating food or, or you know, just sort of like cutting every corner oh, to be Fucking the most soylent. efficient human. Like that kind of, that mentality that most of us are not that <laughs> extreme, but th- there are a lot of things. There's a lot of productivity apps. There's a lot of, there's a lot of data. There's a lot of obsession around data, data, data. Yeah. Data when it's plural, right?
1: Right, it's like it's almost always data, and it's almost always plural. Uh, yeah, okay. But I think like the efficiency thing is a good point too, because I don't know. It's just uh, like there was a point where I got really into like the Pomodoro system, but that was actually more about like managing your attention, like devoting yourself entirely to a task. But what it turned into. I don't know. It just it, there, it always feels like there's a pressure to be more and more efficient. Like we're all turning into, how can we be the best, most productive of employees possible? Yeah. And it all ends up backfiring. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like efficiency is a is, is this totally like chimerical goal because as you pursue it, the obsession over efficiency will make you less efficient than you've ever been. Okay. And so it's kind of, and a lot of times it takes you away from what works. Like, so I don't know. I'm very suspicious of stuff like this. It, it feels like a lot of these systems are, are kind
2: of insidious, and I don't trust them in life or in games. I agree. The Fitbit is the tool of the impressor, is basically what I'm saying. Anyway,
0: <laughs> I, don't, I don't disagree with you. Like, that's, I hate workout apps. That's a handcuff on your ever. wrist, people. Yeah. yeah. Get free. I mean like I you know I I'm also like I say this from a position of somebody who's played sports their whole life, had coaches their whole life is like I it's easy for me to design my own workouts. So I'm not I'm not saying don't ever use a thing if you find it useful, but like I personally hate those things. I hate things that quantify a lot of that. Like for me the numbers I need are you know i would like to know my mile times that's fine uh i would like to know you know how much longer i have in a workout i would like to know how many rounds but i don't need to know every calorie i don't need to know every you know it's like there's some information that is very helpful and useful and there's some information that's not and i feel like these machines do a very machines programs whatever algorithms however whatever context you're talking about i do a very very poor job of parsing that information and presenting to you what is actually very helpful and very useful
1: yeah, I think they, they kind of make us, like, so seeing this information from time to time is useful, right? Like, it's useful to know roughly, like, what your usual workout is doing for you, both on a sure. caloric basis and on term, in terms of, like, you know, what your heart rate is doing during that Absolutely. time. Like, it's roughly, it's good to have an idea about that stuff. That's cool. Yeah. But the problem is, I think a lot of us are wired to then, like, consume this data. Right. As right. if it's as if like that's the feedback, like don't suddenly don't trust how you feel. Don't trust like how like the 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 way that the experience of working out or or the way a good day of work feels. Don't trust those sensations anymore. Trust the data. But the yeah. data is just they're just data points. It's this it's this yeah. like blizzard of of data. But it's not information. It's not helpful. It's not like actually telling you anything. And I think the third cup of coffee I had while we're talking uh, on this double recording, this doublehead recording is finally hit. <laughs> Uh totally. I, I'm getting really agitated about this. Good. Um, well, it's
0: important. Yeah.
1: But yeah, so like I just I like I don't think there's sort of, I don't think there's really like inherent evil in a lot of these things, but I think unfortunately a lot of us are wired either by nature or by like the society we've all grown up in to develop really unhelpful relationships
2: with like personal feedback. I agree. That's my two cents. Anyway. I agree. Speaking of feedback.
0: Yeah.
2: The next email comes from John. Hi, DNR.
1: (laughs) On the December 3rd episode, you discussed the desire to replay Dishonored 2 to try out a more violent playthrough that might suit the main character better than a non-lethal approach. This reminded me of some of my failed attempts to see games from a different perspective by replaying and changing my playstyle or decisions. Telltale's Walking Dead, particularly the first season, is one of my favorite games ever. Upon completing it, I was excited by the idea of starting over and making different decisions to try and get more out of the story. But once I started, I found it nearly impossible to make any new decisions. Turns out, I felt incredibly weird and dirty making choices that either went against how I felt, if I was using the game character as an avatar for myself, or went against how I felt the character would actually behave. In the case of Dishonored 2, it sounds like replaying with a dark, violent streak might serve the character better, but can you think of any instances where you had trouble playing a game character in a way that betrays your instincts or feelings?
0: Oh god, all the time. Yup. All the time. Like, see, also,
1: <laughs> Rob's repeated attempts to try to do Paragon anything in Mass Effect.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just, when you're role playing. You either have like a specific character in mind or it's you and it's your gut feeling and like at least ideally and at least that's how I play and I can't go against my gut that feels terrible it feels like the worst thing. I mean it's just it, the good thing about this particular problem which I think is real is that I I so rarely have time to replay anything these days yeah. that, yeah. that it, it doesn't really come up but it is something that's come up in the past for sure. Um, I played through, when I played Mass Effect games, I played through two, loved it so much, I immediately started one and then played two again, and I couldn't do a damn thing different, other than I was just excited because now I could romance Liara, and that's what I wanted to do the whole time anyway, so that's what I did. But, like, moral decisions? No way, man, I gotta, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good girl. And, and also,
1: it sort <laughs> of makes it feel less real. In some yeah. ways, like it, it drives home the gaminess in some ways. So like when I started doing like a kill all the little sisters playthrough Bioshock One, ah. I discovered that didn't change the game all that much. But two, there's this voice in my head that was like, "This isn't real. This is a fucking video game. You would yeah. never do this. This isn't the real Bioshock." And I was like, "Yeah, you're right. This is this is kind of bullshit. This is this is yeah. fake ass Bioshock. If I'm gonna replay this game, I'm just gonna do exactly what I did before." Yeah. Um, so I definitely have, and, and the Telltale game is another example where it's like, if there's a decision I didn't make because it made me feel icky, I'm actually, like, it turns out when confronted with that choice, I still don't want to do the icky thing. Like, in most cases, I don't want to. Dishonored. Um, I played a fair bit of Dishonored 1, doing high chaos murder everything, and then eventually I kind of stopped doing that and went right back <laughs> to playing it all stealthy. So, yeah, this is actually... Not a major problem, but I do find it interesting how there's all this potential for, like, what a work of fiction would be when it actually has multiple acceptable outcomes. Yeah. But then in practice, I'm like, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play it my way. Uh, I guess yeah. an, an exception, um, Metro, the Metro series. Mm. Interesting case. One, the choices in morality system don't really work because it's, like, invisible. You know, what I mean, like you mm, like yeah. in a lot of ways, it's completely like how like how does this even work? What's it actually tracking? It's not it's not very clear. But the other thing I find really interesting there is that. It's one of the few games where both times I sort of came to the end and was like, yeah, you're right, Metro. I'm not good enough to get the good ending. <laughs> like in, in each of those games, I was like, yeah, I think like I'm a little too pragmatic like, I hoard my ammo, I scour all the environments for everything I can possibly loot, because I'm always, like, preparing for the next, like, terrifying and brutal encounter. So I'm always, like, really skittish about that stuff. And then the game is like, yeah, well, actually, like, that's, that's human nature. And the point here is that if you're going to get a better ending, if you're not going to have this all-ending tragedy, you got to do better than that. you got to get past your fear and your selfishness. And you're just not ready to do that yet. And that, so that's always like, so the Metro series is always out there where I'm like, one of these days. I'm going to nut up and I'm going to play through that series like a good boy. (sighs) A really good, brave, generous boy. Oh. But not today. I
0: hope, I have to be there to see it. That sounds really good. Yeah. (sighs) Man. Uh, Speaking of good boys, I don't know. I don't know if. If Fred is a good boy, um, <laughs> at all, I really have no idea. Fred, Fred could be not a boy, could be a lady, could be a, any any kind of human being. But Fred writes, "Hey DNR, I hope all is well. Finally managed to get around to playing a game. You might be aware of called The Witcher Three.
2: Whoa, what? Pretty- That's crazy.
0: Yeah, I know. What's this? What is this? Witch Witching Three? Witching Hour?" The third, I'm normally pretty unfazed by the strange and dark things presented in games. However, I recently played through the botchling quest and found myself feeling almost distressed at the whole thing. I can only attribute this to becoming a father for the first time a few months back. Looking at the quest from the perspective of a parent made the whole experience a lot more thought provoking. In light of this, have you guys ever thought you had a different perspective or greater relation to a moment in a game due to your life experiences? Keep up the good pods. Good Christmas and New Year. Thank you, Fred. There there are things I see this so much more with uh probably with movies than with games, but um <laughs> I think I mentioned this before, but like uh seeing medical procedures done in in movies or yeah, in games sometimes sh- for sure uh that are just like really bad or really like take me out of it or they make me upset. Uh that hits me a lot harder from, you know, having my experience as an EMT, uh, for sure. I feel like, I feel like I also got, like, really, <laughs> really emotional about, a a something that happened in a, uh, in Life is Strange with Chloe and a sort of, like, end-of-life decision that was a possible thing that could happen. I kind of got on a soapbox and I talked about right to, uh... Death with Dignity, and I, I had worked on campaigns for that in the past, uh, like, at the ACLU. It wasn't necessarily our campaign, but it was something that, uh, you know, it was, like, adjacent. It was, like, work that was adjacent to some of the work that we were doing. And somebody I worked with was, like, a campaign manager on, on a campaign to uh, to bring uh, Death with Dignity to Massachusetts, actually, a few years ago. And it was, like, I got really mad and really upset and really, like, very, like, blah, oh, blah, 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 kind of about uh, about that topic so there's, there's like myriad things I mean there are very few things in life that i don't have a strong opinion on, so I guess i'll let you answer this one too Rob
1: yeah uh, let's see like in terms of video games, I think video games like for the same reason that like I usually take the same path through a lot of games like in terms of like the type of morality or situations I generally find myself like in confronting in games i've kind of always like been who i am i think uh i'm not so like I'm, i'm i'm actually struggling to think of of things like where my relationship has has changed too much like i think from time to time historical awareness makes certain things a little more complicated uh for me like becoming a little more like a good example would be A little while like a couple of years ago, we did a show on three was ahead that was about um kind of the glamorization of the Nazis, in a way there mm-hmm. there was more to it than that, but i just i just i i just read a really good book um yeah, I can't remember the title of it now i have to I have to look it up but basically the the book was about how after world war two oh it was called the i think the myth of the Eastern Front, and it was basically how there's this collective notion of of what the eastern front was like in world war ii uh it's all very enemy at the gates right uh the soviet regime is totally brutal uh dehumanizing soldiers just being herded in the battle like sheep um and you have like the uh the 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 german soldiers elite professional against overwhelming odds uh scoring victory after victory and The entire time they know the the war effort is doomed and, uh, you know, that Hitler sent them to the ends of the earth uh, to to die. And that's actually not really that true. You know what I mean? Like, that picture is kind of bullshit. And I think, like, reading this book, it was like, the, the argument the book makes was it starts with a very conscious effort by the German generals after World War II to recast their experiences, to basically retell their version of events on the Eastern front that makes them somehow heroic. Um, When nothing about the German army's conduct on the Eastern front uh, is, is really deserving of anything other, like beyond like some professional admiration as like, you know, tacticians and and operational uh, commanders, but like, Absolutely up to their eyeballs in war crimes
2: yeah.
1: uh from top to fin- from top to from top to bottom, uh tending to overstate uh the degree to which the German high command was cognizant of how screwed they were hmm. uh there was like the you know it's one of those it was one of those situations where there were an awful lot of commanders willing to go go along pretty far uh who then sort of discovered that Hitler was a bad commander pretty late in the day uh but Anyway, so the point of this book was that from that from that seed spawns an entire like movement of sort of like instant historical revisionism that the US badly wanted because it had to cast the Soviets as as uh, you know, the evil en- enemy of the Cold War. Yeah. yeah. And so that sort of ended up changing my feelings about a lot of a lot of wargaming uh, which which tends to celebrate the Wehrmacht. Uh, in some weird ways um, that tends to sort of valorize, uh, you know, the, the German soldier and dehumanize, uh, dehumanize all of them to an extent, like mostly the Russians, but also to an extent, like, you know, the Americans are presented almost as like uh, inferior troops with just loads of equipment and not up to the standard of the Germans. Something similar happens with a lot of Civil War gaming. Uh, Cause there you're sort of explicitly tapping into um a lot of civil war enthusiasm is also touched by revisionism yeah. uh, and the lost cause myth. Uh, and even this game I started playing recently, um, Ultimate General Civil War," uh, which we talked about a few weeks ago yeah. um, it starts out. You choose at the start of each like, battle or campaign, you can choose sides, and the union is like, you, know, for, the, for the sake of the union and to free the slaves, you've decided to join the union and, and fight, for, uh, fight, fight for the cause. And for the southern side it's for the sake of states rights and your beloved home you have decided to take up arms against the union <laughs> which was definitely part of it yeah but when the motivating factor was the possibility of like you know emancipation then every time you frame it that way you're kind of denying you're kind of denying the truth of the matter so i guess those are that's all a very long-winded way of saying like there are certain things that I used to enjoy a lot more thoughtlessly. I've since gained a lot more context and understanding. And my feelings have become vastly more complicated to the point where sometimes I wonder if playing games like this makes me a little bit complicit in a movement of historical revisionism. Yeah. So there's that. Um that ain't easy. leave it there for, for letters this week.
0: Yeah. That's a that's a good place I think that's a good and thoughtful place I will I will only just say very briefly on this subject uh, just thinking in terms of sort of something very very personally touching as well uh, you know the cliche something like gone home really hit me you know, just being a queer woman and sort of seeing something that was like pretty close to my experience you know if you had added about five years to uh <laughs> to uh, the timeline um, so yeah I those experiences are also really awesome and kind of special. And when something actually hits you right there, it's, I don't know, it's great. It, it's, it's kind of amazing, especially when in a game when you're actually sort of being the active agent pushing things forward. And on that note, I think it's time for us to talk about our weekend projects. Rob, you want to go first? You want to tell me what, your, uh, what I you're I would like you to go watching? first. I need a you want me to go first? Okay. <laughs> I have, a, it's going to be a repeat, but, but hear me out. It's mostly because I just want to tell you about how magical an experience I had recently with a piece of media was. So we've talked a little bit about Yuri on Ice on this show. Uh, It's an incredibly gay ice skating (laughs) anime. Um, Pretty explicitly gay, although from what I understand as a non-anime expert, and I'm sure we'll have Amanda on another time to to discuss uh, the ins and outs of this. (laughs) Ins and outs, sorry. Um, You can't really, apparently you can't... uh, there are certain things you cannot show on, on Japanese TV. Uh, Like Yuri and Victor, it it seems like they, it's not always very explicit what their relationship is. Although it it's, it's very, very clear. You know, there's a point where they give each other rings and put rings on each other's fingers. It's very, it's extremely like they, they want to say this. They, these, these men are gay, they are gay and they love each other. And that's beautiful and wonderful. And it's a very sort of, Generally, I think, very positive show and a very, like, extremely, you know, it's well done. I think it's well done. Um, I watched the finale last night. I went to a viewing party. Um, and this is going to be, if you ever want to watch anime, Rob, I think this is the way you should do it. You should, you should do it with a bunch of people who are as passionate about Yuri on Ice as... as my my friends are as this group of friends, which includes friends of yours and mine and the show Amanda and Joel were there um they were more passionate about this show than like a Boston sports like championship night like I was there when the Celtics won I was in a bar uh on Lansdowne Street like I was there. I heard the shouts, I heard the screams I saw the tears this like like pound for pound because there were fewer people in this apartment but like pound for pound was as much passion as I saw in like a Boston sports championship and that is like a beautiful thing it is just a truly beautiful thing when people kind of come together and they love something this much and they have, like, this much shared passion for something. And, like, people were, like, high-fiving. They were screaming. They were crying. Like, over every, like, gesture of the show. You know, like, when, when, when like, a big line would come up, it would be like, oh, my God! You know, it was, like, a really intense moment. Like, a really beautiful thing. And I was like, this is it, Rob. This is anime. Anime equals the passion of Boston sports. And that's how you watch it that's how you get into it. That's how you figure it out. It's about fandom and it's about like connecting to these characters and like connecting to this narrative and making this narrative so exciting to you in your personal life, even though you have no control over it. The same way you have no control over sports. You have you have no control over, unless you are an athlete or a coach or you have some actual involvement in the playing of the sport, you have no say. You have no control. There's nothing you can do that's going to make your team win. But like, You're there with other people who love the thing that you love, who all equally have no control, and you share in that joy or sadness when things either go well or don't go well. And I just like had this revelation and I was like, I need I need to share this. Yuria and I brought us all together.
1: That is is beautiful. Yeah. Little cult like. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. But
0: I mean, aren't we all weird humans who do things in groups, and we're weird. Well, Funny. yeah, and
1: like Boston sports is a cult, so
0: it is. It's religion, yeah, <laughs> for sure.
1: Um, yeah, I think for me, weekend endorsement. Uh so I am finishing up uh, Ian Toll's Six Frigates. Mm-hmm. um, which is taking me a little while to get through, just because I've been distracted with some some other books in the meantime. But uh, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting look at the early days of the Republic through the lens of the U.S. Navy. Mm, um, and a big part of it is, I mean, what, what think what the book does a good job of unpacking is just how unprofessionalized and haphazard everything was about the <laughs> early Republic. And in, like, it, it's just, it, it's very funny, like.
0: Give me some dates as a very not historically.
1: Uh, so ultimately the person. book is about the War of 1812. But also okay, like perfect. the Barbary pirates. So it's the it's predominantly about the Adams Jefferson and uh, and Madison administrations. But it's it's just funny because like a lot of this book is just like U.S. amateur hour. <laughs> uh, like yeah. the whole campaign to suppress the Barbary states uh, involves multiple U.S. captains being sent out there out to the Mediterranean. Uh, With basically a pretty just they're kind of just told like, yeah, do what you can deal with this, like shut it down by any means necessary. But they don't really have the means is the issue. They've got a few frigates, but that's not something you can really like launch an invasion from. So plus a bunch of the captains like all hate each other and their rivals. (laughs) So you got this like really dysfunctional, like it's like the U.S. Navy at this time is like a really small gossipy town. And then the people of that town are sent across the world to go wage a war. But they bring all their jealousies and rivalries with them. And so they all, like, they get over there. They're out of, they're they're basically like, nobody's controlling this anymore. Because, like, you can't, they're they're too far away. Like, they can't be, the the communications are too bad. So they all just start going off in their own directions. Like, Like, some of the Americans basically, like, decide to become, like, the de facto rulers of, uh, like part of Sicily, wow. uh, just cause like they've got money and the Sicilians have like stores and equipment. So what the hell? We'll just like basically run this and we'll stage our entire war out, out of this area. Um, you know, like another, like a, another, uh, captain basically like shows up and gets the idea. Like what if I just launched a coup to depose, uh like like the the bay of tripoli basically that's that's his big idea so like yeah what the hell you got you got a ship captain who basically goes off there and decides like i think i'm going to bankroll a uh, a rebel army uh in north africa <laughs> wow. that seems cool and so you know you got stuff like that happening uh then when the war of 1812 shows up you've got like basically a few like a few british commanders who are trying to wrestle with the size of america yet again they're like it, there's almost this like hilarious mismatch of like london's understanding of the size of america and their expectations like they basically send the the admiral based out of halifax like they're sending about like 80 or 90 warships and they're like that should cover it right and he's like i don't think you guys get how much coastline there is in America. And meanwhile, like, the the guys back in London are like, why do these American ships keep slipping out? Why do they keep raiding our commerce? And they start just, like, kind of raging out because, for some reason, America just seems really difficult to blockade. It seems really <laughs> difficult to invade. And so, you, you, like, mind? the yeah. entire era, just this entire book is this sort of, like, comedy of errors, but at the same time, it's also... A really interesting look at how even from the start there's this weird fraternity between the U.S. and the U.S. and England, uh, even at a time when they're in war. Uh, so you've got, you know, you've got American and English ship captains giving each other complete rundowns of what their orders are, what their missions are, wow. uh, their strength, uh, what type of ammunition and how many like guns their ships carry. Also, that they can give each other fair fights. Wow! Uh, it's such a weird it is, it is such a singular moment uh, to to look at that it's it's quite a bit of fun to read about.
0: That is, yeah, that is really fascinating. I have a I have a weird fascination with uh, naval history uh, and maritime history for some reason. I think it's because my dad took me to a lot of uh, like naval museums and, and like whaling museums when I was a really Rhode Island's child. good for that. Yeah, it really is. It really, really is. I, remember, um, I think
1: it was down in Newport where the they've got a lot of old warships that are sort of scheduled for demo. Yep,
0: yep. Um, and you can half of them are like museums. You can actually go into <laughs> like check them out a little bit. Uh, like the Nautilus is a uh, is a submarine uh, for you know it's the first nuke sub, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And we used to go, uh, not like every day, but I had been a couple of times and several whaling museums in that area too. So. I just i I find it fascinating i i you know obviously there's the Constitution where you know, uh, you can go to in Boston, Charlestown, I know, I know the oldest the oldest functioning or or sorry, still commissioned warship, yep, you could still fire the cannon, it's still functional, oh it's man, from that's seventeen seventies but it is still a functional ship. And it is literally, you know, it's a museum, but it is still run by a uniformed crew. It's still run by naval officers. So,
1: a oh, weird brief yeah. side note about that. Yeah. Another thing that comes up in Six frigates is that, oh. like, the reason the Constitution, all those early ships, like, proved so hard to sink uh, is that they use this really particular type of oak. Uh, Georgia oh. live oak. Oh. But the crazy thing is, like, it's like a goddamn fantasy tree. Like, this is some oh, elven shit. shit that's out there. <laughs> and, like, it only grows on these islands, like, off the coast of the southern United States. And what? the guys who designed, the the two designers um, who, and I think John Fox was the, the, the main one who, who designed these early ships, was like, no. With this one type of wood, you'll basically have a ship that is armored. Like, way above anything comparable that you'll find in Europe. And so he sends these expeditions to find examples of these trees, which aren't super common and like cut down enough live Oak timber to build this fleet of frigates. And so they send them out there and like these islands are totally pestilential, like (laughs) bugs, diseases, like swamp fever, malaria. It's all bad news. But they get there, and they get these expeditions, like wading into the jungle to find these examples of these trees. And then there's one problem that nobody considered, you which is that is a tree like that's gonna be really fucking hard to cut down.
2: Yeah, that. Do- <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, yeah, problem number one. So yeah.
1: it's like, yeah, it's like it's a tree that's like almost impervious to cannon shot, and they're like, okay, well, how do we cut these down? And the answer is they don't have dynamite yet. Effort. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it just turns into this nightmare of like once you find the tree, wow. then it turns into this like just nightmare trying to actually bring the thing down, oh, and then God. like cut it into timber. So it was just this weird side note of like, and it actually worked. Like this is why like you had British shots literally bouncing off uh, the Constitution and its, and its sister uh-huh. ships is because like live oak is apparently insanely strong. Wow. But yeah getting it proved to be like this like grail quest for these
2: (laughs) Navy procurers.
0: (laughs) Wow. (sighs) Okay. That's really, really cool. I really, I'm going to tell my dad that and he's going to be so impressed. Like I'm going to make my dad's day with this. Uh, You're here first friends. Idle, Idle weekend. Dads will be impressed. I
1: like that.
2: Good deal. Yeah. That's,
1: that's my goal with every show.
0: Hell yeah. I mean, mine too, to be honest with you, I'm, dadlier than thou. I mean, I'm daddest. Ugh. On that very happy note, and I meant that genuinely, I'm very happy about that. On that happy note, I think it's time for us to head out and enjoy our weekends. This episode of Idle Weekend was produced by yours truly and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network.
1: You can learn more about Idle Weekend at IdleWeekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondence at questions at IdleWeekend.net. To keep up with the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at idleweekend.
0: I think... Everybody, go ahead. If your if your father is is around and uh, you have a good relationship with with him, uh, go ahead and tell him. Listen to Idle Weekend. This is a great even show if, for dad. Even
1: if you don't yeah. have a good relationship, like maybe Idle Weekend is the thing that can heal that rift,
0: bridge that gap. Hey, dad. you know, maybe it's a grail quest. It's you know finding a good relationship with your dad is like finding you know this Georgia live oak, but it's worth it. It's worth it, my friends. Uh, or if not your dad, maybe your dad's not around, maybe maybe you don't have a dad, that's okay. Your mom, your sister, your aunt, your pets, your friends, anybody who you think might enjoy a good idle weekend, please go ahead and tell them about us. It means the world to us when you spread the word of us. And uh, if you could take a moment to also rate us on iTunes, that also helps us out so, so much. And we really appreciate it. So for Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo, wishing you the finest of Idle Weekends. Yeah. Do you want to know why this is particularly funny? Why? My dad actually wears socks on his hands when he runs.
1: (laughs) He does not.
0: He does!
1: Oh my god, what a nerd! That is so <laughs> dad.
0: It's because he's Why would like, I
1: buy mittens when I've got these perfectly good socks?
0: He's, well, he's always like, well, they're kind of crappy and I could like wipe my nose on them. And if I don't like them anymore, I can just leave them on the side of the road and I don't what? feel bags. It's not like gloves where I'd feel bad throwing them on the side of
2: the road. Dad. <laughs> I'm dead serious. My dad does this for real. <laughs>